0: Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 631. I'm Kevin Coulson.
1: I'm George Conger. Today's November 13th, Friday the 13th. Three, two, one.
0: Alright, welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted, where George and Kevin sit down and talk about the news of the day, most of it Anglican, most of it Anglican all the time. We'll see what happens today. Before we get too far, we need you as faithful viewers to like the program, share the program, Uh, please go to the comment section and comment on your thoughts of the program. That's where the conversation continues. We never really end the show, and we appreciate your... Your input to that and if you have not done so please subscribe to the show you do that by clicking on that little red rectangle on our YouTube channel up pops a bell you click the bell and supposedly hopefully you'll be instantly notified the next time we have a show uploaded you'll get a little pop-up in, in your browser that says oh and scripted it's just upload a show you click it and you go "Oh yay!" and it's not there that's that's life whatever so, before we get too far, George, how's your week going?
1: I'm exhausted, Kevin. Uh, this COVID thing is really, really a pain. Yes, um, it is. Oy. We've we've uh, we've now had in-person services. We've had a month of them, four of them, and we've been averaging. We do five services on a Sunday in person, uh-huh. and uh, we get about a little over a hundred people, which is about on for all of them, which is about. Uh, 35% uh, percent compa- uh, attendance compared to this time last year and I know where the other uh, 65% is they're at home and with all this latest doom and gloom on the news that oh a second wave is coming New York City is shutting down at 10 o'clock uh, Chicago you can't go to somebody's house for Thanksgiving uh, here everything's fine uh, but still people are being frightened now i'm not saying that they shouldn't be frightened but it is
0: discouraging for for Uh, their age demographic a little fear is okay you know absolutely Uh, we're watching in in this country i guess it's the third wave Uh, and it's amazing how contagious this covid really is we're able to treat it more less people are dying when they hit the icu but darn it all even if you're safe and you wear the mask, people are getting it. That's hard. Mm. Yeah. Uh,
1: third wave, new wave. Next, will we have yes. Billy yes. Idol yes. or something yes. uh, being the being the uh, <laughs> spokesman for COVID uh, relief? Right. Do you know? Do you know how screwed up this country is? Somebody in government gave Billy Idol a green card, and he voted in this last election.
0: <laughs> Wait, well, who did he vote? Did who so he voted? Did he, he vote for <laughs> no Trump? And uh, Johnny Rotten from the right. Sex Pistols uh,
1: <laughs> is a Trump supporter. uh
0: Where's uh, it? Sid Vicious. One of them is dead. The other voted for Trump. Just, yeah. Okay. It's, uh, but it's okay. Johnny oh, why? Well, we're getting old, George. um Old quickly yeah before we get to the news there's some oh people always go Kevin where are you I'm at uh gambler Rogers Recreation State park it's right outside of Flagler uh, Florida we're leaving here today because we're gonna go to see the launch at SpaceX and we have to uh, reposition the camper to get a little bit closer to Kennedy Space Center for that but that'd be a lot of fun this is our uh, I've never seen one in person and it's a nighttime launch so it'll be a lot of fun
1: now I have uh, the uh, government been following you because you've got all these antennas on your roof and you'll be driving up to the space <laughs> launch and your dish will be following you uh, is this uh, you know out of uh, Thunderball or something I'm where some you're going to try much? to hijack the space space <laughs> things
0: through your computer systems? Uh, no but uh, I, I am a, I would be a high probable cause to be inspected by the uh, security at NASA for sure uh, this this big old rig uh, you know what I had to do uh, audience, friends of mine, people who listen I had to buy my first dehumidifier because I've been in Florida long enough that the RV is finally full of musty smell and the, the only solution we could think of uh, is to run the AC 24-7 even when it's 50 degrees or get the dehumidifier and that's what we broke down
1: or come to the 8 o'clock service that's right. <laughs> you'll smell musty smells
0: <laughs> So I still smell musty, but, you know, uh, we dried out the RV. It took uh, three whole gallon things of water out of the uh, dehumidifier uh, in the last 24 hours. So it it was... Do you miss Arizona? I miss Arizona (laughs) a lot. (laughs) It was so dry there. In fact, Joel got up, goes my hair's all frizzy today. Ah, well, (laughs) that's the dehumidifier working, finally. All right, well, let's move on to the news. Uh, A lot's happened uh, in Anglicanism this week. A report has been issued by the Church of England. I think uh, George will do some talking about and some of the uh, reactions to that report. It's called the Living, Loving, Lubing, Lusting Report.
1: That's a Julia Robert movies, Uh, Eat, (laughs) uh, Sleep, and Get Well, or something like that. Uh, LLF is the acronym we'll use, uh, living love and faith. Mm -hmm. And it's not really report, it's more of a thing. It's part book, part video, part report, part... um, it's a mixed bag and I'll give it credit for effort but I'll give it a failing grade for practical uh, application to the life of the church and the world.
0: What was the goal of the report?
1: about two years ago, there was a flap in the General Synod of the Church of England because the General Synod was asked to take note of a bishop's statement on human sexuality that was traditionally minded, and General Synod wouldn't do that, which was a bit of a slap at the bishops, and there was politics involved. It wasn't that all of a sudden General Synod became more liberal than it is, and so they've decided to, they decided to put together a study commission uh, to basically begin the dialogue for I don't know how many times (laughs) on human sexuality so they got together a left-leaning group with some well-meaning conservatives uh, thrown in for balance and they came out with this report but The report doesn't make any recommendations. Now, the good things is that there are parts of it where you can see that they really wrestle and engage with scripture and they really take seriously what Paul said about uh, pornea, sexual morality. They don't gloss, they don't do some of the stuff the Episcopal Church did, which is either completely ignore Paul or take it so far out of its context that, oh, this only refers to ritual prostitution. Doesn't I mean Paul knew nothing about loving same-sex relationships, you know, just like the Greeks had at that time. Uh, he knew lovely. nothing about it because Paul was <laughs> Jewish. He didn't know anything about the Greeks. Well, they don't make that mistake. No, but I'll jump to the end because it, it's not a practical report because it doesn't doesn't really do anything other than keep the noise, keep the volume level.
0: Uh, up it doesn't offer any steering oh, other does. than it we, it have offers, have we have to have to more talk we have to we have no. to unity in this we have to you know the, the, there's no end game to this this document
1: now i'm being very unkind and i'm being very harsh because a lot of people put a lot of time into this mm-hmm. and they put their hearts into it and they meant well and but at the end of the day what has this accomplished It's another book that I'll have in my library and a divinity school library will have, but it will have no real impact in the lives of Christian believers. And the reason why, if it gets down to it, is that they refuse to address the elephant in the room, which you just named, Kevin, false unity. Uh, That you know even though we don't agree on how the Bible should be read or what it says or what it means or what's right and what's wrong we still can call ourselves Anglicans because we agree to disagree about what we disagree about uh, I know that's double negative or triple negative but that's really the that's situation that we're <in>. isn't it <laughs> and it's this call for fake unity uh, at the end of the day only advantage it only comes to the advantage of those who seek change. There are two camps here. There are those, there are three really, those who seek change, those who seek to preserve the unchanging truth of God's word, and those who seek to find an accommodation. And when you balance those three equally, what it comes down to is favoring the center, finding an accommodation that allows God's word to change, but not by that much. Or, not by that much today, but maybe tomorrow we'll get a little further along. So, it, it really begs the question, at what point do you divorce yourself emotionally from this process if you're in the Church of England? Sure. Now, how that divorce takes place, uh, differs from person to person. You know, in my case, in the, in the Episcopal Church, my divorce means that I still, uh, I still wear the uniform, but I don't salute the flag. Because in my little here in Hooterville, it doesn't matter what they do in New York. Uh, but if you're uh, in a nasty, hard place where the bishop is telling you to do all these awful things, it's a difficult place. Well, you're if not... you're being, if you've been kicked out of the Episcopal Church, you don't really have much choice, do you?
0: <laughs> I mean, but that's the reality. There's the uh, I'm being beaten by my spouse, divorce, and I'm out of here. And there's the uh, my spouse isn't paying attention to me anymore. Yeah, I mean man.
1: I've got one of these great bicoastal marriages as far as the church <laughs> is concerned. I live in New York, my wife lives in San Francisco. We nice. see each other for Christmas and Thanksgiving. That's how we stay happily married. <laughs> you hear that sort of nonsense on sure. TV from time to time, but that's the reality of my relationship with the, Bible, the Episcopal Church. Okay. But that's where I want to go with this LLF paper, in that I think it's problematic because it continues I'll speak now to, the, to that constituency with which I identify and that's the evangelical wing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It paints a false hope of that maybe through patience and through reason we can convince the other side that they're incorrect. Now all things are possible in the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't deny that, but by using the tools of men, of man, of parliamentary procedure or dialogue to achieve God's ends, I think you're you're engaged in a
0: fool's purpose. Absolutely it talks about in the scripture. You know, they used their own reason. They came to a conclusion with their own reason and all hell broke loose. Yeah. Why would the this, Church of England be any different? Well the other thing is
1: the the, the voices of the evangelical establishment in the church of England their loudest call right now is not to biblical faithfulness but it's to institu- institutional faithfulness so that we can be biblically faithful they in other words wh- what comes first the chicken or the egg the cart mm-hmm. the cart of the horse um, again it's easy for me to criticize because i'm not part of it i'm not uh, i don't have to make these decisions but i do feel that intuitively and also from conversations i've had with uh, members of the clergy of the church of england that's a great many of them are basically who are my uh, generation are just timing things out
0: but that's an important they're just going to run there? out the clock the episcopal church and the church of england are slowly dying mm-hmm. i mean e- both the institutions themselves are admitting that the episcopal church or at least through their news organization says we've only got so long left if you look at the stats from the church of england they only have a decade or two left um
1: and for me you know how do i as an episcopal priest live in such a world and it's because my identity is not in the episcopal church it's in jesus christ the episcopal church if the episcopal news service is to be believed to be believed Will be defunct by the time I time out in my retirement. Um, should that worry me? Well, it will disappoint me. But will the faith of Jesus Christ endure? Absolutely. It can't be defeated, it can't be destroyed.
0: And at least your pension fund will still be there. I mean, the tech pension system is.
1: Oh, well, they're, they're now into this woke investing. Oh, no. Uh, oh, yes, so it, you no. Know, Maybe so I mean, I, early. no, I'm just uh, I'm encouraging my children to study science and medicine <laughs> so that I could live it in their garage apartment my defining year.
0: So what are the reactions? Then you talked about the evangelicals, uh, how they reacted to the report. What about the LGBT plus 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 community? What did they say?
1: Huff, puff, puff, puff. Um, too little, too late. Yeah. Uh, we posted uh, actually a friend of this show, our mutual friend Colin Coward. Sure, he uh, I like Colin very much as a person. I don't agree with almost anything he says, but he's a really nice guy. Very well, he's nice, nice to mm-hmm. he, us. Uh, he wrote a, on his blog. He wrote, you know, the annoyance and disappointment of just another half measure of refusing to, as the English say, grasp the nettle, which is actually my. Criticism too is just that he wants to go in one direction. I would hope they would go in another but Colin is basically saying, you know, look we've been fighting this fight, talking this talk, doing this all these years. Here are our arguments. Here are our proofs. And he basically sounds exactly like the traditionalists on the other side. And this is that false unity. Well, but and he- at this stage Colin's team is the majority. And he's basically saying, look, fellas, I have invested the last 30, 40 years of my life pushing these issues. And now in charge, why can't we just finally do something?
0: And I'm kind of with Colin on this. I mean, the Church of England is dying anyway. Just do it. Just get this over with. Uh, Fully endorse and embrace uh, uh, gay lifestyle, gay liturgy within your (laughs) services, and, and just get it over with.
1: I would say let Colin be Colin, um, let let Jane Ozan Jane Ozan be Jane Ozan, but don't try to wrap everybody in the same package. Don't don't make the Church of England Evangelical Council or the Society uh, try to fit them into the same mold that uh, the the affirming uh, side of the equation is in. Okay.
0: All right. De- w- this is a free-for-all Friday. We, we did a pre-show, but we didn't write anything down. What was the next topic we're going to talk about? I'm looking here in the Justin Welby. Yeah, can you believe it? Um, he, there was a report issued this week that uh, they looked into his uh, involvement with uh, Jonathan Smythe and the time that uh, they worked with the urine camps, and uh, it basically concluded that Justin Welby may have had an inkling, and that we know he didn't do anything but for all intents or purposes he's he's not guilty of anything
1: it was a it, w- it was announced via a press release from lambeth palace uh, so therefore you know it's on fire <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was essentially nothing to see here folks keep moving uh-huh. uh, essentially justin welby knew about the jonathan smythe who was the abuser at the british uh, boys camps having been a camper himself he had been notified officially in 2013. He did nothing, uh, or he moved it from pile A to pile B, and the church ignored it. And it was a complaint was made that Justin Welby didn't do what he should have done in light of this massive, major scandal within the British church establishment. This isn't some Boy Scout master in the in the wilds molesting a choir boy this is at the heart of the establishment Uh, some of his victims are bishops today of the church of England Um, boys were driven to suicide boys have their lives wrecked in Zimbabwe one boy died at this camp Mm -hmm. that this that uh, Smythe had to flee England uh, because the uh, the the evangelical establishment says you know get out of the country We, we know what you're doing you gotta leave we're not going to turn you over to the police. Welby was part of this establishment. He was a young man when these crimes occurred, but he, the, the accusation was that when he was in a position of authority, he should have known, he wasn't informed, and he did nothing. And the Church of England's uh, safeguarding team came back saying, well, there's no, uh, the case against him is not proven. Which, uh,
0: Which in the past, could get you what they did to a, a former Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah, Where I mean, you they, your rights, privileges, your uh, place in society, and your reputation.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, they're going to give Johnson Tamu a peerage. They're going to make him a permanent member of the House of Lords mm-hmm. uh, because it's his turn. Uh, you know, all these things about that he. You know, we need to make an example of him as the first black archbishop as this that and the other where his personal conduct of having done a horrendous job with the abuse scandal shouldn't count against him. Uh Welby's the same way we can nail George Carey for unverifiable instances that he may or should have known something third hand 30 years ago but Justin Welby Held to the same standard. Case not proven, he continues to be Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, the, uh, the, the primates held a video conference, uh, two day video primates meeting in November, uh, this past week. And of course, uh, the GAFCON uh, movers and shakers, Nigeria, Uganda, Rwanda, didn't attend and they'd probably save themselves. Yes a boring two days because they had these well-meaning duds giving them talks about safeguarding and the archbishop of york telling them how britain is going to use this lff to uh, basically finally engage with the issue of homosexuality Uh, yeah but they but the, the the fog the bilge coming out of the establishment on these issues on abuse on human sexuality on so much else on false unity it's just overwhelming and overpowering um, in my own life i've sort of reached maybe long ago but i reached the point that i don't you know i don't wait upon the latest word of the archbishop about what things are or where they're going to be because i can almost write his speeches for him it's so trite and dried and cut and paste from a playbook that is so obvious
0: over these well, years. And George you may have a purple collar in your future. If you, oh. could, just, <laughs> if you could just write these it may, it may be time for you to whip the gene. Um, now the demographics of this audience are you know people 50 plus wearing a collar and because of that demographic I wanted to cover the next story uh, is a lot i would say not a a majority of viewers but uh many viewers of this audience went to general seminary and we have a story this week where the uh the dean has stepped down and the last 15 years of general seminary have not been uh, good they've lost money they lost professors uh, a lot of chaos going on there i thought we could give a quick update
1: this is another tragedy story um it's he, it. It's tempting to play, paint Kurt Dunkel, the outgoing dean of General Seminary, as a villain. And at times, his cartoonishness has almost been his his villainy's but almost been cartoonish. Uh yes, Kurt Dunkel. Uh, was brought on board as he was candidate the ordinary under John Howard in the Diocese yeah. of Florida. Yeah. And he was the one that basically ran Howard's campaign that basically forced out Neil Labar and uh, the other people that, for, that formed the nucleus of the Gulf Atlantic Diocese of the ACNA. Um, we had no separate, uh, you notice how that uh, wave stopped at the Florida, Central Florida border so you've got to think that well there's some people here this is a people issue not a local issue so well Dunkel was kicked upstairs to become the first dean without a PhD or a doctorate at general seminary and he is uh he was like Welby he was a man with experience he'd been a lawyer he had been a canon of the ordinary he had no real pastoral experience but he could get the job done and today, there are I think more trustees thirty seven than there are full-time students, thirty at general seminary. They have had to sell off property they had four or five years ago they had the eighty percent eighty percent of the faculty quit and they get fired and general seminary. Is not long for this. Way. It's going to go the way EDS. I believe it will go the way the Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and be merged into a Cambridge EDS went down to merge with Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Right. So it has an office building. It's an office in a building. That's all that's left of that great seminary. And Episcopal Theological, uh, General Theological Seminary, I think, said in the same way. Mm. Yeah, it, and the thing is it's just, I'll, if I were to offer a critique, it really is important if you're a bishop, if you're going to be a seminary dean, if you're going to train people how to work in pastoral institutions, to have some pastoral experience yourself. You can't go through a lot, you can't be a rector of a Midst middling and larger parish without figuring out how to compromise with people and get things done so things can get done. Sure, now, if you've got a little congregation of 50 people, you can basically boss everybody around and you know you're king of the hill. But if you got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred people, you're going to have people from all over the place coming to different angles and you're going to have to juggle and balance and try to find ways you're going to have disgruntled clergy assistance that you have to mollify or figure out how to get rid of. In other words, you have to have the real life experience of how the church operates on the ground. And too many of these, you know, Dunkel never had that. He had a very short time in pastoral ministry because he was an attorney, he was made canon of the ordinary and he was made an administrator. But he didn't know how to administer how to administer the people under who he was given for whom he was given supervision. And that failure was carried up to the seminary level.
0: Yeah. It's a sad thing to watch you know these great seminaries of the past fail and uh, I collapse. Obviously uh, there's there's a couple left and uh, there's certainly some good AC&A version uh, seminaries out there. Uh, you know it, it's hard to see this because that was siri <laughs> sorry siri um and it's hard to watch this happen uh, before we finish up i wanted to talk a, a little bit about presidential politics again uh presumptive presidential elect biden uh seems to think he's the clear winner here there's a lot of hope I see on Facebook and Twitter uh, of the, the the rebel alliance, so to speak, uh, hoping to overturn the vote or find out how they cheated. Clearly there's, you know, every election has fraud. This election certainly had some fraud. Uh, and it's a, the onus of the president and his team to prove major fraud. And if he can do it, great, let's get this you know taken care of. But this is just a, a collective stress on us during the time of COVID. This is so 2020 George.
1: Yeah, um, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, we, we're we being fed a diet by the ma- uh, the mainstream media that there is no evidence of widespread fraud. Baseless and, they say, baseless. And guess what? That's what the Trump team says too. Yeah. They're talking about targeted fraud. Sure. There was no fraud in my little family. uh there was no in Florida you know nobody on either side is questioning the election because after the Chad fiasco 20 years ago Florida went through some very strenuous reforms and you have to have ID you have to do mail-in ballots are counted before any other ballots they're not dropped in the middle of the night and so on, and so on You know, all that stuff well the uh, Joe Biden do the Constitution gives the power to proclaim a president not to the media. I'm not saying Biden won, I'm not saying he didn't won, but I'm saying it's pretty premature and absolutely ludicrous to say that there's no evidence of targeted fraud. Um, you have the uh, Rudy Giuliani and other attorneys going into courts in Pennsylvania, Michigan and so far and there may be other states that will come with affidavits of poll workers and election monitors and actually employees of the city election boards making uh, these under te- sworn testimonies of this they witnessed this or they were told to do this. That is evidence. Sure. Now the other thing you need to remember, well I'm not you Kevin but the general you general. is that this is not a criminal trial. This only has to be a preponderance of evidence. It's a civil case. So the, the court, you do not need to prove without a shadow of a doubt as you do in a criminal case. You need to show that it's more likely than not and then the courts decide on what sort of uh, uh, actions do we take in light of the evidence or preponderance of evidence. See that that's why you can, that's why the you know statistical the statistical arguments people will dismiss out of hand saying well they're not under comprehensible but statistical arguments uh saying that you know the that the 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 methodology used by insurance companies and bank examiners and other financial invest financial authorities to investigate fraud using these tools they use statistical analyses Mm -hmm. and they show That there's a likelihood, and once you have that likelihood in civil cases then things get stopped and you go forward uh, to do the detailed investigation and what the Trump administration appears to be doing is uh, following this pattern that you do in proving financial fraud, Um, gathering the affidavits but also gathering the macro information showing that That, uh, like, this probability of uh, the way that the votes came in Milwaukee or in Michigan or in Philadelphia, um, there's a 1 billion to 1 chance that it could have happened that way under normal circumstances.
0: Yeah, there's a reality.
1: That's their argument. I don't don't know if it's true or not. There
0: there is a reality that that there's certain statistics here that set off the red flags. You know, uh, shutting down the counting at night. Adding the uh, hundred thirty thousand extra votes at night, you know, done under the car under the darkness. The thing is, uh, if we can't, if this can't be proven before December fourteenth, when the electoral college meets, you know, the, the,
1: the yeah. Well, well, here's the thing that the um, like in Philadelphia, the law is quite Pennsylvania law is quite clear that there must be a Republican and a Democrat to view. The votes, you just can't do it without Republicans present, right. and the penalty of that is those votes aren't counted. So the argument being put forward by the Republicans in Pennsylvania is that these several hundred thousand votes cannot be counted under the clear plain reading of the law. It may not be fair to the people, but that's the fault of the election board, uh, yeah. not the people who voted. So If it is certified, then it goes to the state legislatures and the state legislatures are the check against local election authorities. If they think fraud took place, the state legislatures are in their rights to say we don't agree with this and in fact we think fraud took place and we'll certify a different set of electors. Now in this particular, now we're getting into brass tacks, but in five of the six states that are in question. And there are only six states where there's been accusations of targeted fraud. Um, The legislatures, the governor, the legislatures are controlled by the Republicans in five of the six states. So in Pennsylvania, for example, if the elections boards in Philadelphia return, well, there was a million votes for Joe Biden, even though only 400,000 people were registered in Philadelphia, They'll, that'll go into the total and the election, and they'll gather all the county totals and it will say oh my goodness Joe Biden won by this 600,000 margin now the arguments we put forward well that's possible it's this that and the other but it's up to the legislature to decide what that's the check and balance in our system that the founding fathers set up this happened in the election of 18 I think it was 1880 Tilden versus Hayes yeah this ha- happened of uh, the elect the legislators being a check against local fraud because at the end of the day we have to remember the president is not elected but the president is elected by the state legislators who rely upon a popular vote to award the delegates to the electoral college but it is we're in a republic where we elect local legislatures who in essence elect the president by means of the uh, popular vote being the guide.
0: If you guys ever get a chance go read the 12th amendment to the constitution. No, but let, let me pause. <laughs> let me pause. <laughs> let me pause for one second. Yeah. I am not saying that this is 100%
1: proven. No. I am just telling you what the arguments see. Here's the problem. I'm married to a Philadelphia lawyer. <laughs> I'm married to a woman who, before she had started having babies, practiced in the appellate courts in Pennsylvania and yeah. was actually a clerk at the Commonwealth Court, which in Philadelphia, which gave the that this win the other day to Donald Trump. So some of you may have your sweet nighttime discussions about love and life and mine. Uh, because my wife is in Seattle ours are uh, over Pennsylvania election laws and how these things work (laughs) so uh, so but please hear me to say I'm not saying this is 100% proven or true I'm just telling you what the arguments are being put forward
0: and here's the question I mean are there red flags absolutely is this worth investigating absolutely the red flags are very red um do we know the outcome no we don't we'll just have to sit and be patient and and pray our way through this that's what we did 20 years ago
1: well if the electoral uh, college you know if Pennsylvania for instance refuses to certify and we hit that deadline you mentioned Kevin you know what happens then it goes to the congress and the congress it goes to the house of representatives house, yeah and the house of representatives votes Oh, well, doesn't that mean the Democrats will win because they've got like a 10 or 20 vote spread? No, it doesn't.
0: Seven vote now.
1: It doesn't because they do it by state. Each state delegation has one vote. And I believe there are 26 or 27 Republican delegations, Mm -hmm. majority delegations. So California may have 30 more Democratic congressmen and women than Republicans. And Wyoming may have one Republican. But California's vote, one for for the Democrats, equals the same vote as Wyoming's one Republican. That's the way our system was set up. Hmm. So it looks like if you if you if you ask me to gamble, I would say there's a seventy percent probability that uh, Donald Trump will win.
0: Statistically hey. speaking.
1: Hey, but remember, don't take investment (laughs) advice from the two of us. Don't take political advice from the two of us. You're listening to a priest in Hooterville, Florida, Mm -hmm. uh, where the swamp is rising and the alligators are coming out because of all the rain. So, if you trust that man for your inside information, you
0: need to beware of the source. You do, you do. Absolutely. I'm Kevin Carlson,
1: And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 631 of Anglican unscripted.